You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Hello again, Vixies, Vixens, Vixers. I don't know who's listening. <laughs> you people are back, and uh, I'm, we're glad to have you as always. This is Maddie, co-host from the Voluntary Vixens podcast, joined as usual by my co-host, Jessie. Hello. She's waving. You can't see her. And uh, today we're joined by uh, a really close friend of the network. Um, he's technically not on our network, but we'll consider him definitely, a, um, I'd say, lifelong friend. Um, Mike Meharry of the Godarchy podcast, uh, works with the Tenth Amendment Center. I don't want to shortchange him at all, and I will let him fill in the gaps and um, correct me wherever I've uh, maybe sold him short a little bit. No, that pretty much covers it. Um, I also do work for Shift Gold, so if, uh, for for folks oh, yeah. who are interested in in the economy and investing, you can check out shiftgold.com/news. I do all the web content for them, and also do a podcast uh, once a week called the Friday Gold Wrap for those guys. And uh, you mentioned Godarchy and the Tenth Amendment Center. I mean, that's enough, right? Yeah, sounds, it sounds like a lot. <laughs> You're definitely you definitely seem like the busiest person. <laughs> yeah, when I first started working for the Tenth Amendment Center, uh, one of the guys that was there, who's no longer with the organization, he used to call me the machine, which I thought was funny. It's really just a function of the fact that I can write fast and and about um, you know, <laughs> really productive. I mean, I'd say it definitely uh definitely get goes far, and it's. We're happy to have somebody like you in um, in all those kinds of places. I guess I don't know. I don't know where to start. Um, I know I've been wanting to, we've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I'm I'm a fan of your podcast, Godarchy Podcast. I think it's a really, really important and interesting combination of how a Christian um, and anarchist philosophy meet and intertwine, and they're not opposing of each other. And um, and then also like the Tenth Amendment Center. I don't want I don't want to skip over any of these, and I want to go into some detail maybe. But um, the Tenth Amendment Center, I think like it's always an important topic. But you know, as we're maybe going to experience another <laughs> fun presidential shift from one psychopath to the other, um, you know, remembering that <laughs> there is such a thing as the Constitution, and even though everybody likes to ignore it. And usually does, and um, it doesn't mean anything to a lot of people. There's still some remnant of it, I guess, that gets clung to on occasion when it's beneficial enough. <laughs> but um, so something like the Tenth Amendment existing, where all of the powers not strictly delegated to the federal government are supposed to go to the states. And so, you know, I think uh, now's the time to talk about those things. Um, with your normie friends, with your family, people who don't know about this thing called the Tenth Amendment, and 
you know, what, how it means they can uh, find a little bit more freedom, I think, in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I, I call the 10th Amendment the gateway drug to liberty. And it really was for me. <laughs> I mean, when I started working for the 10th Amendment Center, which has been like, gosh, 11 years ago now, I was pretty much a neocon. Um, and I had some of those instincts that I think a lot of conservatives, a lot of Republicans have that, you know, federal government should be limited and that we, you know, this, this more kind of idea, vague idea of limited government. Um, I had, I had those ideas. Um, and, and that's kind of what channeled me into the, the work of the 10th Amendment Center. I got kind of caught up in the Tea Party movement. You know, I was scared of Obama, like a lot of Republicans and conservatives were. The Tea Party came out of all of that. I started going to some Tea Party rallies and, and thinking, you know, I, I, I have a journalism degree. I'm a writer. How could I use my, my talents and abilities to further liberty? Now, I didn't really understand what liberty was at that point, but uh, <laughs> I, I kind of gravitated towards the 10th Amendment Center because, again, I had this idea of limited government. And it took maybe six months or less at the 10th Amendment Center to realize that when Republicans talk about limited government, they're full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I've spent the next 11 years basically bashing on both political parties uh, because they don't adhere to the Constitution. And I think that's kind of the lesson. I know a lot of anarchists and, and uh uh, you know, real hardcore libertarians are like, oh, the Constitution, that's stupid. And, you know, they want to quote Spooner at me and, as if I've never heard Spooner. You know, they, they, if they I, I get amused when <laughs> you've never taken yeah, that I into get account amused when, yeah. when anarchists try to come at me and, you know, oh, well, Spooner said, yeah, I knew that. Um, you know, I'm not stupid. Uh, but like you said, it's it's an it's an end with your normie friends, because I think most people at some level, whether they really follow it, or not, they have some sense of respect for the Constitution. They recognize that this is supposed to be the quote-unquote law of the land. And so that is an entry point. And the activism work that we do at the 10th Amendment Center is all really focused on limiting the power of the federal government in a, in a very uh, real way. So we use state power basically to undermine federal power. So the whole idea is decentralization. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer. A lot of people think that I'm schizophrenic and, and maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe that's fair because, because on the one <laughs> hand I do Godarchy. I am, I, I don't like the term anarchist because everybody thinks when you say anarchist, you're burning dumpsters and breaking windows. Right? But this summer, this summer no. didn't help. I like the term voluntarist and that's, I think that best mm -hmm. defines my, philosophical worldview that all interaction should be voluntary and not coerced. Um, but I also live in a real world and I live in a real world that has a real government. So the question then becomes, how do we navigate that as, as people who um, want to strive towards a more voluntary society? And yet we have to navigate this, this status society that we live in. And I think that the, the key to liberty, the path to liberty is through decentralization. I am a firm believer that the biggest threat to liberty is centralized power. The more centralized, the more concentrated it is, the more dangerous it becomes. When you have uh, decentralized power, uh, it's, it's the same thing as, as competition in the marketplace. You know, we want robust competition in groceries. Um, mm -hmm. In the same way, we mm -hmm. should want, if we're going to have government, we should want to have 
a robust competition in government because they check and balance each other out. And so that's really what we do at the 10th Amendment Center. We undermine this centralization tendency and try to try to devolve power back to the states, back to local governments. And then, you know, the ultimate goal would be devolve power all the way back to the individual. But um, I love what we do at the 10th Amendment Center because it creates a attitude of kind of rebellion, you know, the whole, the whole premise of just say, no, don't cooperate with the federal government. Don't do something just because this government entity says that, uh, that you have to, and we can wrap that up in, into, into this kind of constitutional philosophy, but at its root, it's really kind of a, of a subversive thing. Uh, you know, I call it the Rosa Park strategy, just say no. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, nice. and I think that that, you know, even if you reject the whole constitutional thing, it's a way to get people to start thinking in terms of, I don't have to do what these government authorities tell me to do. And we're giving them a a kind of a stepping stone where they can say, well, the constitution says the federal government can't do this. So we're going to go after them. And then at some point, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll start to grasp a little bit more of the libertarian philosophy. And at some point they'll say, wait a minute, none of this is legitimate. Uh, So, so we don't have to, we don't have to follow any of these, these, any of these creeps. Uh, so, you know, to me, it's a, it's a kind of a stepping stone thing, but the 10th amendment center does some very practical things. You know, we push for, uh, marijuana legalization at the state level and, it, and, you know, if nothing else, I think it's a good thing for less people to be locked in cages. It's a good thing that here in Florida, yeah. I can go get a medical marijuana card and I can use, uh, cannabis for medicinal purposes um, and unlike when I was in Kentucky, I don't have to worry about, you know, some cop throwing me in a cage. Uh, we, we try to break down the surveillance state by, uh, using state and local action. We try to undermine FDA regulations and EPA regulations and national health care and gun control and all of these things that the federal government is trying to do. So, you know, it's, it's practical work and it is again, a gateway in. And that's really, you know, like I said, when I started with the 10th amendment center, I was a neocon. And then I recognized that Republicans were full of crap. And, uh, and then I started to, then I started to be exposed to more libertarian philosophy. And I got to know Tom Woods and, you know, started to hear him talking. And, uh, and then, you know, the next thing, you know, you're starting to read, uh, Bastiat. And then, you know, one day you wake up and you're reading Roth, Bard and you, you realize, yeah. wait a minute, I don't believe in any of this statism anymore. So, uh, the Tenth Amendment Center has been been very much a part of my my political evolution, and I still think that the work that we're doing is very important from a practical standpoint for liberty, and especially in, in times like this, um, you know, when when you have so much centralization and, and Biden's going to centralize. Where Trump was awful too, as far as the Constitution goes. Um, so it'll be fun because what's going to happen over the next two or three months is I'm going to go back to being a neo-Confederate racist because for, for four years I've been a libtard. So, so in the Obama years, I was a neo-Confederate racist. And then when Trump was in office and I was criticizing Trump, then I was a libtard and I'll go back to being a neo-Confederate racist, which will be fun. Yeah. Got to switch it up every, every four, four or eight years. Yeah, no, you gotta, it keeps you on your feet, right? But I guess uh, what might be new to the labeling uh, this this go around, you know, you're probably gonna be a transphobe, <laughs> um, just a bigot, all around bigot. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard you to. Kill, you wanna kill grandma? If, if grandma's not dead, you, you, yeah, you, you hate your exactly. grandmother, obviously, you know, because yeah. you don't oh. wanna wear a mask. They'll have to go after me on that because it's really, really hard for them to peg me as a racist. 
I, I'm the worst racist <laughs> yeah. in the history of the world. You're really bad at it. Yes, yeah. I, I, I failed at that. And I, I used to, I used to actually use that because you know when you get criticism, people email you stuff, and and uh, it's like they don't know who you are, and it's always amusing. You know, they'll, well, you're a racist. Well, please don't tell my wife. You know, because she'll be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't no. want to know that. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's also just like so insulting because, you know, I hate the idea that we all aren't just adults and can make our own decisions and we're not free to associate. Whether we make terrible um, asshole decisions or not, you know, it, it takes away our agency. It takes away the agency of other people, those minorities that these, mm -hmm. you know, hoity-toity, mostly liberals, you know. I, I, there's no really right-wing person who's trying to... Uh, I'd say demean like nobody in a pl no right winger on a place of like power and with a with an audience and with like any kind of reputation um that's positive like nobody had they're not demeaning to uh, minorities yeah. Uh, yeah. everybody uh, likes to say Trump is and I think like that's kind of again very low IQ, not doing your homework, not paying attention, and listen to what the media, who is just wrong on right. everything, says. Or just, you know, focusing on things that don't matter. And um, again, or, you know, regurgitating just like what CNN told you he said and he didn't say. Or, mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't even matter. It's like, um, again, people focusing on little minute things in their life. That's not even in their life, right? right? It's like... It, yeah, it affects them in no personal way whatsoever. <laughs> They go to the corporate media to be fed like these things that are supposed to matter intrinsically with their daily lives and they don't. And so it's been a very, um, I don't know, rough couple of years of um, the Trump derangement yeah. syndrome. And so I'm sure you can relate and probably were you were like you said, you were called a lib. Yeah, see, it's, it's, it's <laughs> um, interesting because for my position, I'm almost, I almost became, especially in the last year, I've almost become as frustrated with the Trumpers as I am the Trump derangement syndrome, because I get mm -hmm. these emails. I'll read you. I'll read you one. Hold on a second. Let me, let me pull oh, it up. I got see. this. Let's this is one. an email that I got today. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. Fresh. Fresh this material. This is a person who has not yet acknowledged that the election is over. So he was mad at me because um, because I, I did an email basically conceding that Biden was going to be the next president. So he, he gave me the bye bye and I decided to engage this guy. But oh, daggone it. I think I deleted it. Well, speaking of which, does that mean you does that mean you have an email list and um if anybody listening wants to get on that list, they I can. do have an email list. Uh, if you want to do that, you can go to my website, michaelmeharry.com, and you'll actually get a pop up for a, uh, a free ebook. I'm doing the Tom Wiz free ebook. Uh, nice. It's called it's do called it. the power of no, and it explains this whole idea of state nullification of federal laws. Um, but you can also uh, on the website. There's also a place you can just sign up for the email list uh, directly if you don't want to get the ebook. But anyway, so this guy's basic premise was that the, the election's not over, and Trump is going to get rid of the bankers and put us back on a gold standard. I'm like, oh, dude, geez. he had four mm. years to do this, you know, so I get these emails all the time. So, so those people are annoying. And 
I don't know. I guess that's the the plight of a libertarian, right? Because we we mm-hmm. see through the the left right paradigm, and, and you know, talking about the whole issue of race, that frustrates the fire out of me too. Because I feel like I'm caught in the middle. On the one hand, you've got the left that thinks everybody's racist, and you know, I mean, I've I've been married to a black woman now for 12 years and we lived all of our lives in the South. You know, most of our, most of our married life, we were in Kentucky (laughs) and I've never experienced overt racism. And you would think we would get some, right? And I mean, there are some, there there are some times when you can tell people are a little uncomfortable or people are thinking, you know, they might be thinking something, but I don't care what people are thinking. They're, they're not doing anything overtly to us. The flip side of that is, and I think this is the backlash that, that the left has caused. You have a lot of people on the right that deny there, there is any racism at all. And, and Mm -hmm. while my wife and I haven't experienced it, you know, personally out in our our lives, I've seen it. I've, I've been subjected to it on social media. You know, I I had some dude one day that was telling me that I need to, to divorce my wife, despite the fact that divorce is a sin because it's a bigger sin to be intermixing (laughs) races. So, you know, it's, it it gets ridiculous on both sides of it. And, And as far as I'm concerned, the big problem is politics, right? Politics poisons mm-hmm. everything. And I think most people get along mm-hmm. perfectly fine in their day-to-day lives. It's when you start interjecting power and politics into things is when people get nasty with each other. Agreed. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking too, like, I was asking myself these questions, like, when did we, when I was growing up as a kid, I don't remember, and I grew up in East Tennessee, I don't remember ever really experiencing a lot of racism. Like, I, like you know, I don't know about you, but I had a lot of friends mm-hmm. that were mixed race or, you know, black or Hispanic or Asian. And I never really remember anybody ever coming up to me and saying, you shouldn't be friends with these people. You shouldn't talk to these people. Nobody in my family was was that way. And I remember when I went to grad school up in Chicago I heard the N word spoken more times than I ever heard in the South. Yeah, and I and and Chicago is a very segregated city. Yeah, it is. And there are you know there are neighborhoods that are just for the Jews. There's neighborhoods mm-hmm. that are just for like Pakistanis and for the Indians and for you know. And if you ever venture into certain neighborhoods and you're a certain color in the middle of the night, you better be prepared. Yeah, that you're going to get your butt kicked. So. You know, I, I I just remember thinking like I just don't remember racism being such an issue when I was growing up. And when you were in when you go to Chicago and you tell them you're from East Tennessee, then they all think that right. you must have yeah that you must have experienced so much racism growing up that it must be crazy. And thank Rampant. God you came up here. Thank God you came up here and saw <laughs> the light. It. You know, you know, where there's no racism at all. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I like I the guy who at Subway just called those people the N word. What are you talking about? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's just crazy to me. Like I remember just thinking, and this is like during the Obama administration when that was all happening. Right. I remember thinking like everybody wants to pretend like racism became such a problem during the Trump administration, but I feel like really. Um, Racism kind of reared its ugly head again in my life, at least, 
and I'm 41, so, you know, I'm not like a spring chicken or anything. Um, I remember it's not really having a problem with it. And then all of a sudden I'm, it's become a major issue all over, not in my own personal life, but just all over the media during the Obama administration. Not yeah. even during the Bush administration did we have this much issue with race. Yeah. Now, I remember the, the 70s. I was a kid in the 70s. So I'm, I'm 10 years older than you. I'm 53. And uh, okay. a little 12 years if you're, before somebody criticizes my math. <laughs> because I know there's I know there's some neckbeard libertarian. He said 10 years. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but so I do remember like. I remember in, so I had my best, my best friend in like second grade, his brother was in high school and I remember him talking about the race riots at the high school, which, you know, I'm sure was just people yelling and shoving each other. But, but I do remember there being, being racial tensions. And I also remember when I was at the university of Kentucky. And, uh, so this would have been probably 86, 87 and uh, Rex Chapman was a star basketball player for the university of Kentucky. And it was very controversial that he dated black girls. <gasps> so, Ooh. so I remember some of that, uh, and, and looking at that in, in that perspective, I'm like, gosh, things are a lot better now than, than, than they were even then. Now, if you really want some perspective, you should sit down and talk to my mother-in-law who, who is 87 and grew, you know, grew up in West Virginia and, and literally experienced segregation. And, you know, you, you go yes. in the back door of the drugstore and, and, uh, and she can tell you some stories now. So, you know, when you put it into that perspective, I mean, what are you complaining about? I, I you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's frustrating. And, and again, I think a lot of it is just politics and power. It's, it's identity politics. It's a way to divide people up. It's a way to, you know, create voter blocks for politicians. And yes. it's, mm -hmm. it's a way, quite frankly, it's a way to end debate. You know, if, if, uh, mm -hmm. if, if I'm, if yeah. I'm arguing a position and you can't counter my argument on logic, well, just call me a racist. And that's exactly what yeah. the whole thing with, when we were talking about nullification during the Obama years, you know, they would just, oh, racist. Yeah. You know, Rachel Maddow did an entire segment on the, uh, and featured the 10th amendment center and talked about, uh, it was Confederates in the attic, mm -hmm. you know? Oh so God. it's, yeah, it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is just, this is just dumb. You know, it's like, like third grade, but it's, it's powerful in the political realm. And, and that's why I hate politics so much, yes. you know, yeah, I'm, I'm involved in it, but I really do think that overall politics is toxic. They are. Yeah. And I think like, that's one of the things that like me and Maddie have been trying to do. Um, we get accused that of being political, but really the whole point I think of our of doing this is really just to be like this is we're breaking down how ridiculous politics is right. and how people are allowing it to become like a parasite in their brain and they can't think about anything from their own perspective. Like, you know, my husband, for example, is from Pittsburgh. So he's when he came to Tennessee, he he's half he's half Chinese, he was fully expecting already, you know, all this racism to happen right. as soon as mm -hmm. he came across the border. Right. And there, he said there was one experience that he had and it was this one um, laundromat that he went to and he heard these two um, teenage kids talking about how um, they just want to, they just want to marry all the white chicks and, 
or something like that. And he thought <laughs> they were talking about him. And he, they were really talking about, like, in the laundromat that he goes to, it's a heavily, like, Mexican immigrant right. laundromat. Like, they go there, and they will bring their meals, and they all, like, socialize with each other. <laughs> it actually sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, right, honestly, like, like, they all wash their clothes. <laughs> And they all get their, they all bring their their food from home, and they all like hang out and wash their clothes and like eat dinner together. It sounds like a great idea, really. It's probably really good food and, too. Um, pro- yeah, and like that's another great thing about living in East Tennessee. We have a lot of really good Mexican food here. So um, he thought that those little white kids were talking about him, but they were really talking about another race of people. And the, he right. and it was like just he he was just so paranoid for like the first year and I had to explain to him like you know even if you have to you're nothing new here. separate <laughs> what people say and what people do mm-hmm. like they're probably just saying something out they're just thinking out loud and it is it's wrong no and there's no doubt about it what they were saying was just, it wasn't a nice thing to say it wasn't a nice thing to think but were they burning the building down and killing people right. no that they're just expressing their thoughts sometimes you have to just realize that a thought is a thought mm-hmm. and it's not dangerous it's not Absolutely. permanent usually either and it yeah and where when it becomes dangerous is when you when you put power behind that thought mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what i tell people all the time that's i mean if if you really want to deal with with racism you're not going to change what people think and and why why would you want to i mean you know, my wife says this all the time i don't care what people think i i, I just won't interact with mm-hmm. you you know if if you don't want to serve black people in your store i won't go in your store i don't want to go where i'm not yeah, wanted why would you want to give them their money right. exactly, exactly i can control i can't <laughs> control what other people think i can control how i react to it you know and and yeah. and i think that's a real hard lesson for people to learn is to is to take control of their own minds and their own actions and their own their own lives and stop worrying about what the hell everybody else is doing around them but um mm-hmm. i was going somewhere else with that but um <laughs> any, well anyway yeah so it's not that important well, Thoughts aren't dangerous. It's, it's the, like you said, the power exactly. behind it's it. It's the power behind it. So when you put when you put somebody in a position of power that has those thoughts, then yeah, all of a sudden, then they can then they can use that in a way. And, and that was the whole problem. You know, people talk about segregation and uh, and the Jim Crow laws. They were Jim Crow laws. You know, they mm-hmm. were they mm-hmm. had the power of the state behind them. And you have to ask yourself the question: Why did they have to pass laws? They had to pass laws because. In the nature of things, people are going to start interacting. So they had to pass laws to make sure that these people didn't start mixing up. Mm-hmm. That and, you know that that was the insidious part of it. Now there were obviously in in the fifties and sixties there was obviously a lot of people that had re- racist attitudes, but those yes. attitudes had no power without the state enforcing the laws. And um, I'd say mm-hmm. a lot of those bad opinions and you know stupid ideas probably were reinforced or you know were given even more power um or what's the word i don't know like <laughs> given the authority to, like to think that way like oh well you know there's a law for a reason you know right. these yeah, people well, are different than us exactly. and we absolutely can't interact with them like otherwise there wouldn't be a law right the law right? reinforces the law reinforces exactly. the attitudes yeah exactly yep, that's it yeah it's the same thing well, with like, it's like what michael malice was saying 
where he was set, he was talking about like I'm I'm the CEO of Macy's and I'm a, and I am racist. I hate the Jews. <laughs> I want them all gone. And then he was like, and now I am the president of the United States. I hate the Jews and I want them all gone. Mm-hmm. Who's more dangerous? Right. 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 Yep. The CEO of Macy's is going to regret that decision because he's going to lose an awful lot of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're, so, you're exactly mean, right. And and then and then that goes again to the whole idea of centralization of power. It's much more dangerous for, uh, you know, the the federal government, somebody in a position of power in the federal government, to have that type of attitude than it is for your you know local city councilman. Uh, the local city councilman mm-hmm. has a very limited scope. And and that's why I tell people all the time with decentralization, one of the powers of decentralization is it gives you the exit option. You know, if uh, if and, and, you know, I mean, part of the reason we left Kentucky was to get away from the insidious taxes. We mm-hmm. had an we had an option to exit. I now live in a state that has no income tax. So, you know, if you don't. If you if if you value firearms, you don't move to California, you know. Or yep. if you're in California, you leave California. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know that there, there's a, a, an escape valve when you have centralized authority that's dictating one size fits all policies. You know, it's really hard to leave the United States. I mean, I mean, you can do it, but it's going to be expensive, and and you know, if you, to try to get to revoke your citizenship, that then they start, then, then they extract taxes out of you to, to even let you go. So yeah, yeah, it's it's really like not even worth it. Like I I've lived abroad, and um, it's just a pain in the ass doing everything. Right, and you know, we do take a lot of our cushy American lives for granted, and um, and but like what is nice. That a lot of that is universal across our 50 states. Mm-hmm. And so that's something I think like everybody takes for granted. Um, or a lot of people at least do, I should say. Um, and I think, um, so another, I guess, way that, and you can tell me actually like maybe what you, you at the 10th Amendment Center were actually like focusing on this year with um, how, the COVID response definitely differed um, state to state. Um, it was mostly bad, <laughs> mostly yeah. bad with some like good mm-hmm. outliers. Um, but something I noticed, at least in you know my state of Maryland, um, obviously I've got a Republican governor who I don't think is a Republican. Oh, and no. I just learned, I just, yeah, I just learned that um, his virtue signal protest vote was to oh, Ronald Reagan. He wrote in Ronald Reagan. <laughs> oh my god! I wrote I wrote in Ron Paul. Okay, so I'm not opposed to protest votes here, right. especially in a, like in a state that's not a swing state. My vote did not say anything other than exactly what I wanted it to say. Was right. If Ron Paul was on this ticket, Ron Paul would be my you know choice. Right, and um, we should be making. We should be working towards people like that um, if we're even going to have this kind of uh, presidential debate. But um, but yeah, so lockdown, Larry. Uh, it's uh, let's see, eleven, ten, twenty, twenty, and it, he's about to lock start locking us down a little bit by bit because of yeah. um, the COVID cases. Fifteen days to flatten the curve, man. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait for another fifteen of all days. All the you know? surges that just keep happening. Uh, yeah, and, it, and it, I'm gonna I'm gonna bake some bread. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's just restart this cycle over as if yeah. 2020 wasn't miserable enough. 
Yeah, I mean, you oh, know, I, a lot of people, they don't like this answer, but really that's the way in in the u.s system it's supposed to work it's supposed to mm -hmm. be it's supposed to be a state-by-state state thing it's un unfortunate that so many of the governors suck yeah. um you know that's it, the issue <laughs> and, unless you are fortunate enough to live in in south dakota florida hasn't been bad i mean quite yeah. frankly good, good for the but I mean, we were we were we were locked down too, and you um, guys were the targets and like the epicenter of yeah. like all the hate that yes. everybody wanted you guys to just be dead in the streets with um, DeSantis's <laughs> measures or right. lack thereof. Like right. you, Mike Meharry, this is this is the ghost of Mike Meharry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, you know we we were fine here. You know I've I've not really waded into the whole coronavirus thing. It's just not I, I don't have the mental energy for it. Oh yeah, um, don't. And, and you know I I have I have my point of view, and, and I'm fortunate that it hasn't really impacted me personally really heavily because I already worked at home. My wife already worked at home. Um, we don't particularly like people. So we social distance anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> it does help with that. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, you know, the, the frustrating things for me were pretty minor. Like the, they shut down the gyms. So that was yeah. annoying. And then I, I couldn't play hockey for three months and that was really mm. annoying. Um, but, you know, when you look at the carnage that all of this has caused, that's what's amazing to me. I mean, even if you accept that this is a dangerous virus and, you know, maybe that some measures need to be taken uh, to protect vulnerable people, what, whatever your position on the virus is, what's frustrating is that virtually everybody has ignored the flip side of it and all of the destruction. And I don't think people recognize the economic impact that this has had and will continue to have for years to come. Um, no. the, the damage to the economy, and, and it was already in a mess because the federal reserve, I mean, it, it set us on the path to, to destruction after the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and, and interestingly, a lot of people don't even realize, and it was lost in the, in the Rona that the economy was teetering in 2019, the Federal Reserve was already back to printing money and lowering interest mm -hmm. rates artificially and doing all this stuff. And then coronavirus happened and they just put it on steroids. Um, but I think the lesson is, you know, this is the, the it's a shame that they don't teach economics because people have no ability to think in, in an economic way. And, and balance trade-offs. So you can yeah. say, you know, even if you say, even if I believed that lockdowns were effective in mitigating the, the spread of the virus, and I don't necessarily believe that, but even if I did, you have to look at the flip side of it and say, what kind of destruction and, and chaos are you causing on the other side of this equation? You know, you look at the, the economic damage, you look at the number of suicides, you look at the number of people who are going to die from cancer now because they didn't go to the hospital, didn't get checked, yep. you know, didn't get treatments, or just the, the, the misery of people that that, you know, I, I have friends that had family members in the hospital and they couldn't go see their loved ones, you know, in their yep. last days. I mean, it's yep, horrible. Yep. So I think me and Maddie both yeah, experienced and that. I both have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I worry about my mom. My mom has cancer. You know, she's she's it's a it's terminal. Uh, she's doing well right now. Thank goodness. But, you know, if if 
things were to change and she was in to end up in the hospital, I mean, I'm not going to be able to go see my mom. I, I, I don't even want to contemplate yeah, having to no. deal with that because, you know, I'm liable to, to go nuts, but don't go there. it's a, it's a, it's been a crazy thing. And it's, um, it, it's given us a good lesson of the fecklessness of government power. You know, it's anybody that thinks that the government can stop a virus. It's mm-hmm. a stupid. And, and yet here we are, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is, it's like the whole point of the lockdown, like I hear from the, and unfortunately it has become like a left and right argument. Yeah. It's like everybody on the left thinks that we need to be in lockdown. We need to wear the masks around the right is, you know, they, they're totally the opposite. And then there's us who are like, I mean, unfortunately we end up being more on the right on this issue. Right. But, um, I think that the, 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 the thing about it is that all these people were saying like, we're doing this, we're doing this to save your life. We're doing this to save our grandparents. This We're doing this to save our parents and the elderly. But at the same time, it's like, but you are locking old people into nursing mm-hmm. homes where they can't see their loved ones. They're locked. If they get sick, they have to go and be in the hospital by themselves. We're talking about some of these people have dementia. Right. They can't, they need to have somebody there with them to ask the doctor certain questions because they don't know and they're not going to remember what the doctor right. tells them, you know? And in a lot of these cases, um, some of these people just like my mother-in-law, for example, just didn't want to go to the doctor mm-hmm. because she didn't want to face any of those issues. Right. So, you know, they end up like going to the hospital when it's way too late and you can't save them when right. they probably would have been fine if they had just gone in and had their symptoms checked Yep. Early on. Yep. Uh, it, it really is the most anti-human. It is the most irresponsible. And, and if you want to talk about like a disrespect towards the elderly population, all of this is those things. Yeah. If you really care about elderly people, this is not how you would do it. No, of course not. And uh, I don't know. You know, you're right. I think anti-human or inhumane is, mm-hmm. is the word yes. for it. And, um, you know, I don't know anybody personally who has died from the coronavirus. I know some. I know several people who have had it. My ex-wife had it. Uh, mm-hmm. A good friend of mine has it now. I don't know anybody that has had anything worse than uh, a bad flu. Right. But I know four people that that have uh, that personally have either committed suicide or have had family members that have committed suicide in the last mm-hmm. eight months. You know, mm-hmm. so. What about that? You know, what about those people? And and then you look at look at young people. You know, I've got, um, I've got a twenty three year old daughter and a twenty one year old son and a, a twenty one year old stepdaughter, and and look at the chaos that it's put on their lives. You know, yes, my my daughter was so. my daughter was in Africa in the Peace Corps. You know, her plan was that she was going to be in Africa for two years, and and uh, the next thing you know, you know, they're throwing her on a plane, and she didn't even get to go back to the village and get her stuff. You know, that's, and, and then she, so, you know, it's like, okay, alternate plan B. So she's in grad school now, but she's taking online classes. You know, it's just, I feel, I feel for her. And of course she's probably less upset about it than I am because she kind of buys the, the, the rhetoric, but we know when you, when you, when you look at the, at the way that, that their lives, my, my son is a music major, you know, he's studying music. How in the hell do you study music on zoom? 
You know, how do you do, how do you do you a don't. voice lesson on, no, you don't. In fact, yeah. I asked him the other day, I said, you know how. You go listen to live music. Right. You can't do that now. I, I asked him the other day how, you know, virtual class is going and he goes, he said, honestly, it's pretty stupid and pointless. And I'm like, well, and, and what's even more absurd is he's paying for this, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, those are the, yeah. those are the things that nobody wants to talk about because they're single-mindedly focused on, on one thing. And again, you can believe simultaneously that the coronavirus is dangerous and that, you know, that we should be concerned about it and simultaneously say locking everybody down in their homes and, and forcing everybody to wear a rag around their face isn't necessarily the best best solution to that issue. You know, you have to have a little bit more balanced thinking, but we don't, again, politics, we don't do nuanced thinking when we have politics. So the theme yeah, of this show is politics is toxic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's absolutely just, it's a cancer. Politics sucks. So forget them. Yeah. So I say um, let's ban politics. Let's lock down all the politicians. How about that? Yes. I am for well, that. Politics, I think, is the idea is uh, as far as I can, uh, as far as I've seen throughout my life, is politics is about trying to get as many people to be on your side as possible. So you have to dumb down your points so that you can get as many people on board because you also have to get the people who don't want to think very hard they don't want to be challenged in much and they're emotional thinkers mm-hmm. so you have to kind of dumb down your message in order to attract as many people as possible that's why really both sides have dumbed down their message quite a bit yeah. um you know and it's all about um what they can do uh really like not necessarily even for you, but they'll say for you, like right. for you, voter. It's but like really what you. it means is what <laughs> it's going to happen, what's going to be the effect to your neighbor yeah. um, or the or mm-hmm. the anti-voter, like the person who didn't vote for that candidate or yeah. the people that don't vote at right. all. Like, So that's really like what it is. And um, something before I forget my thought, like, Mike, what you were saying is it's a shame they don't teach economics. Well, you know, when they do teach economics, what they do teach is crap. And it's like, you know, right. Paul Krugman yeah. got a Nobel Peace Prize. And <laughs> that man, I can't believe how wrong he is. And it's not ironic. And um, just if you want to <laughs> if you want to hate follow him on Twitter, you know, it's comedic enough to do so. Yeah. Or, you know, um, Keynesian economics and the modern monetary theory or the AOC realization this year that if we can just print all this money, like, why don't we do so for like free rent, free college, uh, you know, free health care. <laughs> right. And it's just like oh, helicopter money is not the answer. So it's a shame that they don't teach Austrian economics and thank God for people at the Mises Institute. But like, so I think like probably a big part of that and why the libertarians have gotten not only this issue, right, but generally get a lot of issues, right. Because they understand that economics is human action. It's not just this Mm -hmm. abstract other. It's not math entity. It's not, it's not, it's not complicated. It's not math. It's basic, like behavioral observational study. And like, that's why I love, that's why I ended up really liking economics as a bio major. I've talked about it before on the podcast. Like I was like, oh my God, it's really just like (laughs) a science class where you're sitting and watching what people do and what they do with their money and like how they interact and uh, how we create a, what should and could be a voluntary society. And we don't need um, laws to tell us how to do that. Nope. 
Yeah. And I think that's what the right and the left are really good about doing is they dumb down their message, but then they also, when they go back and they try to explain it, they over explain it in such a way where it sounds like it's more complicated than it really is, you know? Classic. (laughs) So they can look like they're smart, like, you know, that way that, and I think that's how they're, what they're doing with coronavirus in a lot of ways. Like, I think that they are, they're putting out these people in white coats so that people the general public doesn't want to really have to do a lot of things. No. I mean, they don't. And I think that's sad, but they don't. And I don't, I I hate to say that, but they want to have talking heads tell them Mm -hmm. what is what so that they don't have to do the thinking for themselves. Well, it's scary to think for yourself because if, if you're wrong, then that responsibility falls upon you. Mm -hmm. If you're wrong this way, then you can just believe, you know, you just blame Donald Trump or, you know, Joe Biden or, whoever you want to blame. So it's, it's a way to kind of, mm-hmm. to pawn off responsibility for your own actions and your own lives on other people. And, Oh, well, the government told me, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's really a way of abrogating your own self-direction in, in, I don't know. It's almost like you're putting shackles on yourself, which is kind of dumb when you think mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> well, and which is kind of like, it kind of goes back to what you were trying to say, where you just say no to these people because, when you realize that you actually are, you know, when you get have enough self-confidence, you realize you can make some pretty good choices mm-hmm. for yourself, probably better than they can because you know yourself better. Then, you know, when you have that confidence, then you realize you don't have to, you can break away from that system a little bit more yeah. and you're not so dependent upon that system. And, you know, I, I think that's something that maybe the powers that be might be a little afraid of people realizing that or, or what, but it's just, you know, and then I think another thing you were just saying is like, people are afraid to admit that they're wrong. Like there's like the sickness that every human being has. And I think that it's a natural state. We don't like to say, sorry, we don't like to admit right. that we're wrong about things. It, it It's more painful than, <laughs> than anything else. But it's, that's why maybe, you know, exercise that muscle a little bit you know you it's okay to be wrong it doesn't when you admit that you're wrong about something you're at you're at the very beginning stages of fixing the problem yes absolutely and let it and let instead of letting it continue yeah and that's a you know that's a hard lesson to learn i think that's something that kind of comes with age in some ways you know you, you i think the older you get the more that you recognize that you don't know everything and um, at least that's been true for me. The older I get, the the easier it is for me to to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that yeah. was a real important thing. You know, part of my my faith walk was I used to be really dogmatic, you know, like kind of the evangelical stereotype. And I had all the answers. And um, and then life throws things at you that the 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 trite answers don't work for and if you can't adjust to that you're going to either you have to walk away from your faith completely which i did for a while um Mm -hmm. and and the and the journey back was being able to say you know what i don't understand x y and z i don't understand why this happens or that happens and that's okay i don't have to Mm -hmm. uh that's Mm -hmm. that was a that was a big kind of wake-up call for me in my late 30s early 40s 
I have a question about like your thoughts on, because let's just be real. Like a lot of these people who are upset right now that Trump lost, a lot of them are Christians Mm -hmm. and they, they, they put a lot of hope and into the fact that Trump was chosen by God to be our leader and what's going on right now. Um, what would you say to them? Well, I think they need to understand that, this is not your kingdom. You know, we've been sold this, and, and I think this is part of the, the propaganda of, of the state. Um, it, it has co-opted Christianity, and not just in the United States. I mean, this, this goes back to Rome, <laughs> where mm-hmm. people have been, have, have tied their religious Christian identity with their country. And that's not biblical. Our kingdom is the kingdom of God. The representation of that kingdom on earth is the church. That's where our loyalty is. And I don't mean, you know, like the building down the street. I'm talking about Mm -hmm. the the, the universal body of believers. And when you really Mm -hmm. look at, at the scriptures, it becomes very clear that all of these earthly empires, you can go all the way back to Babylon, Rome, Persia, uh, the British Empire, the United States, all of these empires, all of these kingdoms of the world are really under the 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 realm of the devil um and and however you want to conceptualize that if you want to think of it as as a literal you know entity or just the 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 spiritual uh personification of evil however you want to look at it you go to the um the the temptation of Jesus and one of the things that the devil says to Jesus is I will give you all of these earthly kingdoms if you'll just bow down and worship me. In order for that to actually be a temptation, it has to be true that all of these kingdoms were in the dominion of, <laughs> of the devil. And so I'm sorry, all of these politicians are tools of Satan. Now, they, there may be Christians, but, but the entity itself, the empire, mm-hmm. the United States, the state, uh, however that's personified, mm-hmm. is... The one ring to rule them all. Yes. It is predicated <laughs> on violence, force, and coercion. That's the bottom line. The, right. the state is predicated on violence, force, and coercion. Everything it does relies on violence, force, and coercion. There's a, a theologian that I really like. His name is uh, Stringfellow is his last name and his first name. It might be, I think it's Edward. But he was an Anglican theologian. And the way he put it is the moral authority of the state is death. That's the ultimate end of the state. Everything that it does ultimately leads to death, whether you're looking at wars, the enforcement of laws, the drug wars, the the way it it impoverishes people. Why would you as a Christian put your faith in that entity? I don't care if if Donald Trump, Donald Trump's not going to reform it. Uh, Joe Biden's not going to reform it because at its core, its moral authority is death. It is based on violence, force and coercion. And as a Christian, we are following the Prince of Peace who tells us to, uh, you know, abstain from violence, force and coercion, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I really believe that the, the, the great commandment in Christianity to love your neighbor as yourself really correlates with the libertarian principle of the non-aggression principle. So 
you know, you can be listening to what I'm saying right now and, and say, well, I don't believe in this Jesus business or this Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's fine. There's still a philosophical basis for it here. The state is still based on violence, force and coercion, and it's still unethical and unjust mm-hmm. and immoral to use that in a, in an offensive, aggressive manner. And that's all the state does. And, and so that's really the whole, the whole purpose of Godarchy. Well, the, 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 the original purpose of it is I wanted to be an anti-war voice in, in the realm of Christian which is far too lacking. But mm-hmm. what I've really kind of evolved yeah. into is really just trying to hold up a mirror to both the left and the right and make them own their own violence. Make them recognize that everything that they're doing in the political realm is predicated on pointing a gun at somebody and making them do something and bow to your will. And that that is the ant- antithetical yes. to the teachings of Christ. And if, if we could just do that, if we could yes, get people to own their violence, look in the mirror and see themselves as a guy with a club, you know, because all, so many people think that, mm-hmm. and especially the left is so bad on this. They're so sanctimonious. We're going to help people. We are on the moral high ground. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. You're holding a billy club and hitting people in the head, you know, stop trying yeah. to pretend like you're so think, morally superior. And I superior. honestly think that was, I think that was why Trump was elected be honest because i think that for eight years we had that yeah. sanctimonious like we voted for a black president guy everything is great Look what we did like don't you love your life yeah, so much now like because he slow jams the news like you should be happy and grateful yeah, and you're welcome we voted for him yeah and then meanwhile and bombing kids yeah, meanwhile fast yeah. and furious <laughs> yeah drone bombing kids in in third world countries i mean it was and that's one of the things like um my husband is a, he's a liberal and we talked about this before. He He's like, I just can't understand why you don't like Obama. Aren't you happy that we voted for a black president? And I was like, I'm glad that we as a country got together and we voted for a black president. But what he did after that is where I fall. I, I, I can't get behind yeah. it. He did all these things that I totally disagree with. And it all is about human rights. And when I told him about like bombing, bombing uh, hospitals, bombing weddings, um, Fast and Furious, it was like he his eyes glazed over because it was like he just yeah. did not want to nope. hear that. Obama bombed. Intake. Obama bombed more than Bush. <laughs> and and you know I was told that when Bush was in office he was a war criminal, and that that Obama was yep. going to be the hope and change. Obama bombed more than Bush, and really this is this is one of the Tenth Amendment Center messages. No matter who is in the in the White House, the trajectory of government is going to continue basically the same. If you care about human rights, if you care about liberty, if you care about. Uh, you know, limited government. I, this is what we say. You're not going to get that by changing out the president. There is virtually no difference in the policies of George W. Bush, Barack Obama, or Donald Trump when it comes to the big things. The wars right. continued on. Patriot Act spying continued on. The spending continued on. You know, Donald Trump added $7 trillion to the national debt in four years. Donald Trump enforced federal gun control more aggressively than the gun grabber, Barack Obama. Uh, You know, Obama, who was supposed to be the peace president, won the Nobel Peace Prize, bombed more than Bush, the war criminal. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. all of these people are the same. And And that's the whole point. They're all sociopaths. They're all evil. They're all directing what I believe to be a demonic principality, however you want to define demonic. 
So, so why am I as a Christian or as even a decent human being putting my faith in these people and in this process when all it does is leave a wake of destruction and blood and poverty in its, in its wake? That's the end of my rant. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, that's a good one. Well, I will say, here's my thing. The good thing that Trump did for the offices of the president is he, he exposed it as a joke. And, you know, my, my husband, you know, when Biden was announced this weekend, he's like, I'm just so happy that we finally have a guy in office who has some decorum about him. Decency matters. And he can speak well and he won't tweet. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I, I looked at him and I was just like, I get what you're saying, but you are saying this about a man who clearly has dementia. Yeah. So we don't know what he's going to say. I wrote an article. <laughs> At all. <laughs> I wrote an article for Godarchy right before the election and, and basically made that case that all of, all of these people, basically what they're telling me is as long as the person looks good, they're not really that concerned mm-hmm. about the fact that the wars are going to continue. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't think yep. the kid in the hut in Yemen whose foot you just blew off with a hellfire missile really gives two shits whether or not the president tweets stuff or whether he yeah. looks good in a tie. Or has decorum. Or whether he, exactly. And, and, and so decorum, I agree with you yeah. completely. I think, I think what people have not wrapped their head around yet is that Donald Trump is every president when you pull the curtain back. Donald Trump was just bold enough yes. to be that in public. And if you ever, you know, you read about people like Lyndon Johnson, he was a he was a jerk, you know? I mean, he, he would literally yeah. pull his wiener out in front of people as, as kind of this yeah. intimidation yeah. thing. I mean, what, what kind of person? But he was presidential. And they all lie, you know? Um, one, of the, one of the things my wife and I did during the Ronos, we watched um, Ken Burns' big, long documentary on the Vietnam War. And... Oh, I thought we were about the Roosevelts. No. <laughs> you need to watch that too. The thing that was amazing to me is that they would that they would juxtapose these uh, private tapes. So you'd have uh, conversations between Nixon and, and the Secretary of Defense or Johnson and, and the, the Secretary of State. And these private conversations, they're talking about how the war is unwinnable and, and how um, you know the, there's, there's no way that they're going to be able to extricate themselves from this. And then the very next day they're on TV. We're going to win this war. You know, the, the whole public persona versus what they were saying in private was, was amazing. It's like, these people are all a bunch of sociopathic liars. And at one point, I think it was, I think it was Johnson. It might've been Nixon, but I think it was Johnson. No, it was Nixon. He said, I am not going to be embarrassed by these people. You know, so, so it was all about, it was all about me. It didn't really matter about the fact that we're sending, you know, 59,000 Americans to die in, in a jungle for no good reason. It was that I'm not going to have make be made to look bad by these anti-war protesters, you know? So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I, I think that's one of the things like I kind of, I remember talking to my mom, like after we were after the election and my mom was really depressed because she was wanting Trump to win. And, and I was like, you know, this might be, this might be a lesson to all of you Christians out there who had put all your hopes and dreams mm-hmm. in Trump because you weren't putting your hopes and dreams in yeah. God. You know, I'm just saying like that's, 
Tower of Babel, that's what people did. There they wanted to go. work together as a united group. That was the beginning. And God destroyed that for them, and they all had to disperse. Yep. And, I mean, I will say, like, I go to a pretty good church because my pastor said the same thing in that sermon that weekend. It's like, we, the this is not meant mm-hmm. for us. That This world is not meant for Christians. We're not supposed to be comfortable. We're not supposed to, you know have leaders that speak our speak for us we have to do that for ourselves you know and i think that that's you know that's the core message that i I would i'm torn because you know i believe in the work that i'm doing with the 10th amendment center there's a part of me though that that feels like you know that 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 particularly the church needs to get out of the government business completely and and when it comes to things like you know poverty and racism and and these social issues and and the issues in our community i think the church has has made a real big mistake in effectively pawning off its responsibilities to government you know we're supposed to be feeding the poor we're supposed to be educating people we're supposed to be uh helping the downtrodden we're not supposed to be sending money to washington dc so they can do it which they're not doing it they're spending it to bomb brown children in in pakistan (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. but uh the the our our efforts yeah our efforts and energy should be focused on our communities and 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 being the hands and feet of hands and feet hands and feet <laughs> of Jesus, <laughs> not putting our faith in Donald Trump to to make America this this Christian nation. Well, I mean, it's just it's yes. incongruent to me. I, I, I and it's absurd because we're talking about Donald right? Trump. That's what I was going to say. I mean, this is this is you know he's not no, a Christian. Let's be but, real. And if he is, he's not a very good practicing one, and that's not somebody we should be following. He's got he's got work to do. (laughs) He's got a little work to do. Yes, but that's you know it it is what it is, as as my mother in law says all the time, and and I think that in some ways, um, I think that the transition of power, you know. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of libertarians are even kind of pessimistic because there's, uh, I think there's, uh, particularly in our circles, there's kind of a skew to the right. And, and we're a little bit more comfortable with a, a, a right-wing status than we are a left-wing status. And I get that. But I think in some ways the political dynamics will be better for liberty with Biden in the White House, particularly if, if um, as expected, the Senate stays in, in Republican control. Because quite frankly, I think the Republicans are better at being a opposition party than they are at being the party that's in charge. You know, and, and just think about it. you go back to the Obama years and you had the Tea Party and you had this this real strong push to rein in government spending and and uh, and and you know working for the at the Tenth Amendment Center, there was a lot of efforts at the state level to uh, to not enforce federal gun control. And then when the Republicans in the White House, well, we want to do all of these things for the federal government because our guy's in charge. And meanwhile, we're getting seven trillion dollars mm-hmm. more in debt and gun controls being enforced. And, you know, the surveillance state is expanding, but everybody's like, oh, well, now uh, Trump's in charge, so they won't use it against us. You know, maybe with Biden in office, uh, the, the, the right will get serious again about reigning in some of the police state and surveillance state and warfare state and all of that stuff now that they're in the opposition party. So 
um, in, in that way, it might be a positive. And, I do. Agree and it might with that. be a total train wreck. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, I think that the like my mom is so afraid that communism is going to communism's come in here to America because of Biden. <laughs> yeah, Biden is not the guy that, but Biden is not the Red no. Army. Like you know, it, he's not the one you need to worry about bringing in. It what you need to worry about is the yeah. schools and the universities and you know the media who praise it. Like that's the thing that you need to worry about. But that's through education. I mean, that's just. I mean, you you have to just yeah. educate yourself. And that's and, the old saying: politics you know. is downstream of culture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so then that you know that I, raises the the question of how can we, as people who value liberty and freedom, how can we interject that message into the into the broader culture in ways other than politics? You know, that's why I love what Eric July does with backwards because. You know, he's he's interjecting that into the mainstream or people who are doing art or or, uh, you know, writing fiction and, and those type of things. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the way I think that's it's going to have to be through that. And I also just think, too, you know, like you were saying, the churches are going to have to do their do a little bit better work at doing some of the yeah. charity work. You know, that's one of the things I like about my church is we do that. But not every church is are going and trying to infiltrate places where, you know, like one of the things that I think is, uh, would be a great thing is, you know, go to places where you know that you aren't necessarily expected mm-hmm. to be, you know, like one of the things I know that d- didn't make the news, but after the pulse shooting, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Chick-fil-A donated yeah. all this yeah, food to these people who were donating blood. Then that never yeah. made the news. But I was like, that is the most loving thing that you could ever do, because that's what they're hated for, for is um, for being anti-gay. Yep. But to donate food and money to people who are giving blood yep. to these people that died, that is the most. And loving you know, the thing truth of do. the matter is, it doesn't really matter that much that it wasn't in the news because that impacted those people in a, in a yeah. very real way. Yes. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and you're right. That's the, that's the kind of things that we, I tell people this all the time, you know, kind of going back to the race issue and, and the lefty white middle class and, and upper middle class, uh, kids basically who, who want to lecture me about race. My, my, uh, admoni- admonition to them. And I've told a number of them on the Facebook, this, what are you doing? To help minority communities. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not doing anything because, quite frankly, they're afraid of black people. They ain't going in no ghetto, <laughs> you know. But, 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 yeah. I'm, but that's a serious thing. If you really care about racial healing as a white person, then reach out to those communities because there are lots of things that can be done in terms of mentoring, uh, you know, helping with with. Uh, with single mothers and, and, you know, just all kinds of things that, that are happening because there are real problems that those communities are facing. And, and if you really care, mm-hmm. if you really want to prove that, that you care, then go do something in those communities and don't just sit there and lecture other people about how they're racist because you're not accomplishing, you're, you're making the problem worse. Go do something to make the problem better. Well, and that, that kind of brings me like I hate to sound like I love Trump or anything, but that is one of the things I did like about Trump is that he would listen to um, people who would come to him about like the legal mm-hmm. system, and he did pardon people who are in prison for drug related, nonviolent yeah. crimes. And 
he was trying, he was, it seemed like he was more open to fixing that issue than any of the previous presidents before him. And, but that's one of the things that I don't, a lot of people hated Kim Kardashian for coming to Trump and, and trying to, to do something about the legal system um, and trying to work with him. But I think that that's like the problem with the left is that they're not willing to just like step outside right. the boundaries and work with the opposite team to get things done. They had to complain about it. For the, yeah, they just want to sit there and complain about it not getting done. And it's just like, you know, it's... Now, I... There is a huge problem I, I will, in the black community with I will with say this, though. People on the the hard left tend to be a little bit more willing to work in coalitions than than your than your kind of your typical democrat type of thing. We do mm-hmm. a lot of work at the 10th Amendment Center on the surveillance issue with a lot of people who are on the hard left and and get along fantastic with them and do do great work with them and and they're more than happy to work with us on those issues. It's it's the um but these are but these tend to be the people that they probably weren't real thrilled with Joe Biden either, you know. I mean, yeah. you or know, like, you know, the the Glenn Greenwalds who get yeah, kicked exactly. out of their own like yeah. yes. Yeah. They exist and you're right. Like the good legitimate like progressives that actually realize <laughs> how regressive a lot of this stuff maybe is. And I don't agree with them on a lot of things. And they're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but they're, re- they're, they're really not, good. Their complaints it, about the system, about the society that we live in is not yeah. wrong. It, we may, di- we may differ in how we would yep. fix those issues, but we can, I feel like a lot of times what politics does is try to divide right. us, but we, all, I think we, most of the, I think most of the country agrees on a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of the time. We just, don't really get a chance to get yeah. there as a and then there's country, a lot and then there's a, a lot of people society. that are told that they don't get along and so i i think like maybe it, <laughs> it bre- right. maybe yeah. it breaks down like this that um you know i and i think it's monica perez um from the prop report who's who has reiterated it so many times that it's in my head but there's like what the 10 percent that are um immovable and you're not going to sway so don't right. bother but what you're focusing is on what the other like 70 percent and then mm-hmm. and not that i can't do math there and then there's like another 30 percent that like just they're not again engaged at all um right. and and you don't need them but like there's that bigger chunk of people that you do need to sway and they're swayable so if you just do the right thing say the right thing you're you're gonna get mm-hmm. them and so i think that is what most people fall into that category and um are hate to say it but end up being useful idiots for one party or the other. Yeah, he's exactly right. I'll tell you a fun story. When uh, I was in Lexington and I got sued by the city over the uh, open <laughs> records business, um, the ACLU represented me in, in my legal issues. And I got to know really well the, uh, the policy director at the Kentucky ACLU and we had a couple of times where we were just hanging out, having coffee and, and talking, you know, beyond the case. And, and we, and we had a lot of disagreements on policy, you know, I mean, she was, she was pretty, pretty firm lefty, but one day we got to talking a little bit about political philosophy and, and she was asking me, well, what, what do you, what, what is the core of this libertarian thing? So I was, you know, basically just mm-hmm. explaining the, the, the idea of self-ownership 
mm-hmm. and the non-aggression principle. You know, there's those two fundamental things. And, and she said, you know, at the end of the conversation, she said, huh, maybe I'm an anarchist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, because mm-hmm. that resonated with her. And I think that, you know, like you're, like you said, I think when you get down to some of those core things, I think there are things that resonate across a broad swath of the population. Mm-hmm. I think the idea that I own myself, that I have a right to direct my own actions, I think that resonates with people. I think the idea that we don't hit other people unless we're defending ourselves, that resonates with a lot of people. The, the yeah. idea that, um, that you shouldn't enforce your will on other people when you, when you take it out of the context of a specific, you know, issue and just back up it to the principle that, I don't have a right to make you do things my way that, that I can't, you know, put a gun to your head and make you give money to me to help my mother because she has cancer. It would be nice of you to give money to me to help my mother because she has, but I can't make you people that resonates with people. So when you can strip it out yeah. of the, the, the issues in the political context, I think that's when you can start to speak with people because there is some, uh, uh, universal understanding, I think, of, of some of these basic principles. Now, there are some people will say, no, I think it's perfectly okay to force other people to do what I want them to. And, and <laughs> those people are a problem, yeah. but, but most people aren't like that. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that w- one way to think about it, too, is like, because I have a friend who is really far on the left, too, and we were talking about the Department of Education, and I was talking about how, like, let's just get rid of the Department of Education. It, it didn't really exist before 1979 which is the year i'm born so it's only been in existence for you know as long as i've been alive pretty much that means that our parents our grandparents they didn't need it why would we why do we need it and she was just like well what are we going to do for education (laughs) and i asked her i was like honey you have two kids are you going to stop sending them to school just because the department of education stops one day and she just had no response back because she knew i was right I was like, you have all this extra money in your pocket now from the taxes that is not taken out. You could pick any school you want to. I made it all the way through the fourth grade without a Department of Education. Lucky you. Yeah. How about that? I'm I'm not too I'm not too dumb. (laughs) (laughs) They fixed you. (laughs) It's just these people can't think. And like I I, I feel I feel like a lot of people um, this is a left and right issue. I mean, they're so dependent upon these systems that they've that have been in place for so long. They can't imagine what it would be like. Like if we didn't have like we don't have um, you know, socialized healthcare yet, but we do have all this insurance that, that is required upon mm-hmm. these people. And but I'm thinking like if you do you think that doctors are going to just stop existing and nurses are going to stop existing if we have no insurance, and we have no mandated, you know, pay for health care. No, you're still going to need a doctor. You're still going to need a nurse. I, I go to a, You'll have to find I a way. I go to a doctor that does not accept insurance. Very nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to find I, one. I hope and pray there'll be a day that nurses could even be part of that process, too, because I hate working in some of these hospitals. I've worked in hospitals, and I've worked in... Um, agencies and I hate it a large part of what I have to do just to make people happy is paperwork paperwork instead of seeing my patients I hate it so much 
And I, I know that like they're talking about bringing back the Affordable Care Act. And I told um, our little group of friends, I'm like, I seriously consider quit quitting because if I have to be treated like, like you said, I don't if I don't have self ownership over mm-hmm. myself as a nurse anymore, there's no point in me doing it. The joy of helping people yeah. is gone once it becomes mandatory. It's it's slavery yeah. in just a different um, setting and context. Yeah. And different exactly wording. what it is. <sighs> well, I don't know. I think that's a, probably a good place to end it. Um, even though we could <laughs> definitely go on, though I definitely start to shut down around 10 p.m. at night. Yeah, I go to um, bed at 10, 1030. So we got six <laughs> yeah, minutes. I'll just fall asleep it's, like, like Cinderella. It's, <laughs> it's time. Um, it turned into a pumpkin. So yeah. I wanted to say thanks again, Mike, for coming on. Um, I'd love to do this again sometime. Um, yeah, it's fun. We've been wanting, like I said at the beginning, we've been wanting to have you on. And so I'm really glad right now that it worked. And, you know, I can't wait to keep following your work. Uh, I think, like you said, there is, there are, I think, some uh, positives. Like if, if Biden's going to be the guy, I think, like, you know, it it does make the right, the conservatives better at mm-hmm. <laughs> upholding their own principles and, yeah. and you know asking other yep. people to do so and i do think maybe something about 2020 and us having just gone through the trump presidency and just how much further you know polarized and disenfranchised a lot of people are like i feel like there's going to be a lot more room for um, the nullification talks, yep, the secession exactly. talks, mm-hmm. yes. um, whether it's like statewide or even um, smaller localities, you know, like I can't wait. I, I can't I almost can't wait to get a stupid Democrat Maryland governor so that we can start talking about the Western Maryland secession. Right. again, guys, yeah. like so I do <laughs> think there are good things to look forward to. And um uh, a lot more opportunities to spread our messages, I think, you know, because the left um, will not be paying attention and they'll be doing their own dumb thing, ignoring Warhawk, Biden and Kamala. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it gives us more time and um, ways in which to kind of hone our craft and uh, really work on ourselves, which I think will be more important in the long run. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, this is fun. You, you, this is a, a the, I like this format. Just like it's like we're hanging out, shooting the crap. That's yeah. cool. That's definitely that's definitely <laughs> what we do. Jesse and I decided. Yeah, we don't plan anything. You expect us to like have like notes. Yeah, and no. Stuff? This is this is great. Yeah. It's a great conversation. Yeah, and, uh, we covered <laughs> I, all, we covered about everything. We're probably going to get in trouble for being racist or whatever because we pretty we have the solutions that nobody wants right. to try. Right. Well, we're going to try it. We're going to be, we're going to be nullifying over at the 10th amendment center, just like we've been doing for the last, you know, since 2006. And I'll tell you something cool. I'm going to Tennessee, um, not this week, but next. And I'm going to be talking to basically uh, a big chunk of the Republican caucus there about nullification and anti-commandeering. So nice. uh, Yeah. So, you know, letting them know that, Hey, you guys have the power to do this 
and uh, kind of equipping them with the with the legal knowledge that they need. So that'll be cool. So I, I think there's some good things. You know, there's always opportunities for liberty. Liberty is uh, liberty's not going to be crushed by any of these sociopaths. So we're just going to keep pushing forward. Definitely. Yeah, we don't need government to give us liberty. That's exactly. And if you're if you're if you're one of these uh, nincompoops who thinks that you're going to get liberty imposed by the federal government, like we're going to vote for the libertarian president and they're going to make liberty. No, no, it's not going to (laughs) work. Can't impose liberty. Liberty is a state of of the human condition without government. So uh, definitely best thing we can do is unratch it and unravel this whole big state mechanism we have so yeah move ourselves as much as possible <sighs> all right well um thanks again mike we'll uh, link you. we'll link to your show we'll link to your work and your website um vixens you know where to find us chance are you follow us on instagram i've gotten rid of my personal facebook i know we still have our uh <laughs> we st- just f facebook seriously and instagram yeah, similar because we do Zuckerberg. have Jesse's been moving us. We do yeah. have a parlor been now. Us to other, yeah, other we do have platforms. a parlor now, and it's actually been blowing up a little bit recently. So, I'm, which I expected it to happen after this whole shebang over the weekend. Right. So, um, I'm going to try to be a little bit more active on parlor, but I am also active. Or, or I'm the one that runs our social media, by the way. So I run. I, I try to be more active on Twitter too, but. Um, I have started a like a personal for myself float, which is brand spanking new. Like they're, they're it's brand new. So if you guys want to try and find Jesse Vixie on float, I'll try to be more active on there. But right now it's just uh, I think the philosopher Dave from the Morning Drive <laughs> with David and like maybe one other guy is on there right now that I know of. So. <laughs> if you guys want to head over there well i'm still yeah. on the facebook which you can also find me on me we which i've oh yeah i'm on me uh, too guys look for jesse jesse yeah i just MeWe. i was i've been on there for a while but i just started posting a little bit since everybody seems to be migrating everywhere but we'll see how that all shakes out yep yeah, yeah we'll see for sure all right well Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. But in the meantime, keep it sane, keep it peaceful, keep it voluntary.